Welcome to the Vintage Church Podcast. We hope to challenge and equip you to take your next step in your relationship with Jesus through these messages from our weekend worship gatherings. We are so glad you're joining us for our summer series at Vintage Church as we examine the life of Jesus through the eyes and experience of his most beloved disciple, John. We hope that you are curious and committed as we take a closer look at Jesus and reflect on what it means to live and love like Him. As you're being seated, again, those of you in the room, will you welcome those who are joining us online today from all over our community, all over our area, all over our world. It is good to be in the house of God, and the house of God is not just this building, amen? The house of God is wherever you make room for him, whatever space you're in and you open yourself up to the presence of Jesus, that's the house of God, right? There's a reason, well, do you know, we don't call this room a sanctuary. I know some of y'all who grew up in church, that's weird for you because you grew up in a sanctuary where you didn't run or chew gum or you would die and go to hell. (laughs) It seemed that serious, didn't it, when you were growing up? I mean, I've gotten whoopings for running in church. Boy, don't you run in church. Kids, you can run in this building all you want to. Because I think the church is supposed to be fun. (laughs) I got a bunch of fuddy-duddies in 9 o'clock service this morning. I think church is supposed to be fun. I think it's supposed to be a place that we enjoy. And the reality is there aren't any sanctuaries. There, There are temples now, but they're not buildings. They're people. You yourselves are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And the moment you accepted Jesus into your life, he removed the sin that was standing in the way from God taking up residence in your soul. And now there are temples, but they are people who put their hope and trust in Jesus. So you are a walking, living, breathing temple of the Holy Spirit of God. That's good news. And so it doesn't matter if you're in this room or if you're watching in another room online or if you're in your car tomorrow and your day just starts off terrible and you need a moment with the Savior, you get to have it. He shows up right where you are. He is not contained, he is not confined. He does not live in buildings built by human hands. So that's sermon number one. And we'll get to the second one in just a minute. Go ahead and grab your Bibles, go to John chapter 11. John chapter 11, and I'll just be honest, my goal today in preaching is the same goal that John had in writing, that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of the living God who wants to be in relationship with you. See, we've been walking through the gospel of John and this is the first time you're with us, whether in the room or online, we've been walking through the gospel of John for the last several weeks and we're gonna stay in this gospel all the way into October. That this is this reflection written by one of those 12 people that spent time with Jesus. And John decided to put his hope and trust in Jesus, not because of what he read, but because of what he experienced. His hope and trust in Jesus was not because he had a book that he read about him. He actually was eyewitness to these things. What he watched Jesus do, what he heard Jesus say firsthand so impacted him that it radically changed his life. And even though before he would die, he went through a lot in order to stay faithful to Jesus. The reason why he kept that faith is because he knew it was worth it. He knew that what he had decided about Jesus was the truth that Jesus was the Messiah, that Jesus was no ordinary man, that he was the only begotten son of God came in the world to give us life. And as he writes down these reflections, every single thing he's writing is so that we would read it and believe in Jesus as well. 
And we've been walking through these stories, these encounters that John saw with his own eyes, people being healed, conversations that just changed people's perspective, religious people who were now turned upside down by all the amazing things that Jesus did, people who were, were, had afflictions that they were born with somehow end up experiencing freedom. But when John moves into John chapter 11, this is the story that would turn everything. Once again, they're going about doing ministry and, and Jesus is doing what he does and a group of people run to Jesus to tell him that someone that he deeply loves is sick. As you step into John chapter 11, somebody shows up to say, Jesus, Lazarus, and doesn't even call him by name, says, Jesus, the one that you love is sick. And it says something about the relationship that Jesus had with Lazarus, that just that description, he knew who he was talking about that Lazarus is sick and his sisters are in a panic and it, it, it's, it's bad sick. Like we don't believe that he's gonna make it. Jesus, we need you to do something. And Jesus responds, this sickness will not end in death. Once again, this is gonna be used for God's glory and to glorify his son and to show the world that his son has come into the world. And then it says Jesus waited two more days. That despite the urgency of the voice of the messengers, Jesus stayed two more days. And it says in John chapter 11, verse 5, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So Jesus' delay in going to the town of Bethany where this sickness was happening is not out of a lack of love for the ones who are sick. Because see, sometimes we cry out to God and it feels urgent to us, but because he doesn't move as quickly as we would like him to, we feel like it doesn't seem important to him. You ever been through something that felt urgent to you but didn't seem to be important to God? Come on, somebody testify. That, that you had been praying for so long and it had been progressing so bad and the delay had been so much that it feels urgent to you but doesn't seem important to God. But can I remind you that we always only see a portion and God always sees the big picture. And everything that we experience in life, we can only see a portion. And God sees the entire picture. And so when it feels urgent to you, but doesn't seem important to God, remember, you're just barely seeing a little corner of the picture when the God that you serve has a million feet view of the entire situation. And he knows what he's doing. Amen, somebody. He says, now he loved Mary and Martha, but he stayed. And it's interesting that Jesus says, this sickness will not end in death. Because later he goes to his disciples and says, hey guys, it's time for us to go to Bethany. Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. And his disciples, being the bright bulbs that they are, say, well, if he's sleeping, Jesus, then, then don't go wake him up. Because they even know what we know, that if you're sick, sleeping's good. That rest is needed. And so they go, Jesus, why are you going to go wake him up? Poor boy been sick. Let the child sleep. And Jesus is like, no, he's dead. But I got to go wake him up. And his disciples are like, Jesus, you realize that Bethany is really close to Jerusalem? And do you remember what happened last time we were in Jerusalem? What we had talked about last week in John chapter 10, 
The moment Jesus started comparing himself with God, saying, I and the Father are one. If you've seen him, you've seen, if you've seen me, you've seen him. And he said all these things, and they are so furious at what they perceive to be blasphemy from Jesus that they're ready to stone him. Jesus, we left Jerusalem because they wanted to kill you for all this stuff you were doing. I don't think it's a good idea that we go back. But Jesus has a plan. And can I tell you something about your God? He's never been afraid to embrace harm so that you can experience healing. The beauty about who Jesus is, is he's never afraid to embrace harm so that you could experience healing. That our God embraced the most painful way of death that humanity could ever conjure up in crucifixion, and he faced it so that you could experience healing and forgiveness. That's who God is. But his disciples, they aren't too sure about this plan of going back. Look at what Thomas says. Our boy Thomas, who was always full of cheer and hope. Look at verse 16. It says, then Thomas, also known as Didymus, a.k.a. Debbie the Downer, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. So, okay, that's fine. Let's just go. Lazarus dead. We all gonna be dead. We'll just be all dead together. So they make their way back to Bethany. And now by the time that Jesus had made the decision to respond to the urgent news of a sick friend, says that he's been dead for four days by the time he gets there. And I sometimes I wonder why Jesus waited four days. You know, he came back to life in three I think maybe he should say, if he decides to raise something, it doesn't matter how much time has gone by. Doesn't matter how long it's been dead, whether it's been three days or three years. If God, God decides he wants to raise it, he can raise it. If he decides he wants to bring it back to life, it doesn't matter if it's been four days or 40 days or four years. God can resurrect whatever he decides to bring back to life. Somebody get a little bit excited about the fact that we serve a God that knows how to raise things that have died. Come on, somebody. So he gets there, and of course, Mary and Martha, they're grieving. They have friends that have come from, from Jerusalem all around because he's been dead for four days. They've already placed him in a tomb, and when he shows up on the scene, look at chapter 11, verse 21. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus, if you would have been here, if you would have shown up, if you would have, if you would have been present, when we were experiencing this, we're convinced the outcome would have been different. But, but I know that even, even now, even now, God will give whatever, you know, whatever you ask. I know if you would have been here, things would have been different. That if you would have been here to walk us through all this, if you would have, if you would have shown up four days ago, I believe it would have been different. But I have so much faith in you that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus, he steps into their grief. And you know, most of you know this story and you know how it's about to end when we read it. But it's hard to read it and not think, God, okay, I know you're up to something and I know that everything that, you know, everything that you're doing has purpose, has meaning. See, none, none of Jesus' miracles were random, and, and none of Jesus' miracles were, were even just about the people that were experiencing him. They, were, they, were, they had a purpose. They were signs to point to Jesus being 
something different than many thought he was, to show that he really was God in the flesh. But don't you hate that part that you have to go through sometimes, that grieving? Like they just went through four days of hell. And we would, no matter how awesome the miracle is on the other side, the pain that we experience until we get to that place, sometimes we wonder if it's worth it. Because we don't, we don't see it. All we, sometimes we are such prisoners of the moment, aren't we? Maybe I am. I get caught up in my emotions of the day. And Jesus walks with them through this. And, and, and Mary's so distraught that she hasn't even left the house yet. And you know, as I read, read this again over the last few weeks, I don't know if, if Mary stayed in because she just was angry at Jesus or maybe she didn't know Jesus had come yet. And, and then finally, Martha goes says, Mary, Jesus wants to see you. And Mary runs out and has essentially the same conversation with Jesus that Martha has. Jesus, if, you, if you'd have just been here, if you would have only been here, something would be different. And look what the people say that are kind of standing around watching all of this unfold. Look at verse 37. It said, but some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man kept this man from dying? How, how, how is it that this very same Jesus that all these people seem to be all up in arms about believing that he is something special how can he open somebody's eyes but somehow let this friend die? He can open a stranger's blind man, a stranger who is a blind man, he can open his eyes. But this friend, this one that he claims that he loved, because he isn't that a pretension in our faith? That how, why do those of us who know him and love him and follow him, why do we have to go through certain things? Have you ever asked that? Like, why am I going through this? Jesus, we're supposed to be in relationship. We good. I go to church. I tithe. I'm supposed to get everything I want. My life isn't supposed to be this hard. I don't know whoever told you that life with Jesus was gonna be easy, but they lied. I've been telling our church for years, life with Jesus does not make your life easier. It makes it better, and those are not the same thing. It does not make you free from pain, struggle, grief, or loss. You just have the, it doesn't keep your life free from storm. It gives you strength to endure them. But Jesus has a plan. Because see, you know how we know that this is not going to end in death? You know how we should know that Lazarus is coming back to life? Because Jesus already said so. <laughs> the very first thing he says is, this will not end in death. So I don't know why they didn't show up in Bethany thinking, we about to see something cool. You know how I know? Because before all this happened, we heard Jesus say that this was not gonna end up in death. So we, we know that something special is about to unfold and we would have been right. Look at verse 38. It says, Jesus once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Verse 39, take away the stone, he said. But Lord, Martha said, the sister of the dead man, by this time, there's a bad odor. 
He's been there for four days. Like, Jesus, this is not a good idea. He's been laying there for four days. The stench that's gonna come from that tomb when we roll that stone away, it's going to be more than you can even understand. But then verse 40, then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Verse 41, so they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And I just wonder if right here the anticipation's building. By this point, because again, it says in the chapter that these friends and loved ones and people who knew Mary and Martha and Lazarus had come to kind of walk with them through this grieving process. They had brought covered dishes and deviled eggs and corn casserole. And they were there to kind of walk them through this painful moment. And then all of a sudden, Jesus shows up. And now they've gone, and I just see this parade of people walking down to this tomb. And they're thinking, what is he doing? What is, what is about to happen? And Jesus goes to the tomb. He says, hey, move, let's go ahead and move the stone away. Martha, that's a bad idea, Jesus. He's, he's been dead for, for four days. The stench that's gonna come is, is more than we can bear. And then they roll the stone away. And, and, and does anybody else wonder, did that smell come out? Like, was she right? People were like, we told you not to move that stone. Because I believe it did have the stench of death because there was no life yet. And then Jesus prays. He's saying, Lord, I'm, I know that you always hear me. I'm not acknowledging the fact that you hear me because I need that affirmation, but I need these people to know what I've been trying to tell them all this time, that you and I are one. And the stone is away. Can you feel the anticipation building? People looking around, what's gonna happen? What's gonna happen? What's gonna happen? Then verse 43, when he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And then I wonder what happened next. Did, did, did he come out like Usain Bolt? Did he just bolt out of the tomb? Could they, could, could they see his body? Or was it dark? Was, was he kind of put back where there was a shadow in the tomb? Or are they looking in there and all of a sudden they see? <laughs> and don't act like that wouldn't freak you out. <laughs> don't act like that wouldn't be like, all right, we're going back to Jerusalem. <laughs> see, we read the Bible and, we, and, and we've read it for so long, it seems normal to us. This ain't normal. This wasn't normal for them. It shouldn't be normal for us. A man who had been dead for four days is about to come out. And it says, the dead man came out. His hands and feet wrapped with strips strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. 
Now, I, I want more. <laughs> I want, this is again where I want, John, tell me more. Like, is he, is he doing like the Irish jig dance when he comes? Like, what's happening? Is he even confused? Like, what happened? Like, what's, I, I got a feeling there's some that are amazed. There's some that are scared to death. There's some that are celebrating, and there's some that just don't know what to do. That a, a man who had been dead for four days has now come back to life. And John's writing this story. He's like, okay, all these things happened. Then there was this one time. But the thing is, this wasn't just one time. I don't know if you know this, but Lazarus was not the only man the only person that Jesus brought back to life. This wasn't the first time that this Jesus had raised the dead. See, this is the one that maybe most of us are familiar with. Most of us know Lazarus seems to be the most famous once dead man, now alive. But remember I told you there's these other gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. See, if you go into Luke, Grab your Bible, go into Luke chapter seven. Because Luke tells us of two other times that people were dead and Jesus brought them back to life. John chapter seven, there is a widow who's now not only lost her husband, also lost her son. And he's dead in, in a coffin, basically on probably was like a carriage. And there's this a, a funeral procession happening down the street. And Jesus sees what's happening. And look at how it unfolds. Luke chapter 7, verse 13. It says, when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her. And he said, don't cry. So Jesus sees this funeral procession. And here he sees this widowed woman who's now not just lost her husband, also lost her son. And he sees her grief. And he's moved. He looks at his don't cry. Then verse 14, then he went up and touched the buyer, the thing that would have been pulling the coffin through the streets. They were carrying him on and the bearers stood still. And he, he said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk. What did he say? <laughs> I'm back. It says, the dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Again, another moment where oh, we don't even know how long this guy had been dead. Since this is probably the funeral possession, it probably had not been a long time. And again, this is very different. This isn't Mary and, and Martha and Lazarus and these people. No, Jesus is walking down the street. He sees this funeral procession. He sees the grief of this, this mother who, who now that she's lost her son and her husband, her life would have taken a totally different path. And he says, you know what? Boy, get up. And he raises up and he starts talking. And again, you don't think people running and freaking out and that's not the only one. Go to John, I mean, excuse me, go to Luke chapter eight. Y'all remember this story? Jesus is going through the streets and has an encounter with the woman with the issue of blood. And he also comes to this guy named Jairus who comes to him and says, Jesus, my daughter's sick. I need you to come because I think you can do something about it. She's like really sick. And he's out there having this conversation. And it says in verse 49 of Luke chapter eight, while Jesus was still speaking, 
Someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter's dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe, and she will be healed. Can you imagine as a father, he's trying his best to get to Jesus just because he believes that that's like his only option, his, his last chance, his daughter's so deathly ill, medicine won't do the trick, there's not a doctor that can fix her. And he gets to Jesus and just about the time Jesus is finished doing some of the other things he's doing for other people, he says, Jairus, it's too late. Your daughter's dead. So don't bother Jesus anymore. And Jesus overhears it. And he says, they must not know who I am. <laughs> they think I can only heal the sick. They don't know I can also raise the dead. He says, don't, don't be afraid. Just believe. Go to verse 54. John, oh, excuse me, Luke chapter 8. So he goes into this home of Jairus. And he asked to be brought to this little girl. He says, but he took her by the hand and he said, my child, get up. Verse 55, her spirit returned and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Once again, something dead now brought back to life. Someone gone and now returned. That that's who Jesus is throughout all the scriptures, that, that there are moments when Jesus not only restores the sight of the blind, not only says these amazing things, the thing that is the most final in the mind of humanity, death, even death, has to listen to Jesus. But this is what I know. That we read these stories and we know what Jesus is capable of. And that's never the problem. It's not what Jesus can do that impacts our faith sometimes. It's knowing what he can do and trying to figure out why he isn't. That's the tension of our faith. Somebody say amen. That the, the, the hardest, most challenging tension within the faith that we are trying to have is not a lack of belief in what he can do. It's a lack of understanding in, was it, in what he doesn't seem to be doing. Because see, there's some of us that read those stories. We see that Jesus raised Lazarus he raised some widow's son. He raised this official's daughter. And we say, what about me? Where's my miracle? And some of us, no matter how awesome what I just read is, you say to me, Matt, I'm too damaged to be encouraged. I'm too damaged to be encouraged. I'm too damaged by the miracle I prayed for and didn't get to be encouraged by the one I read about. I'm too broken over what I, I didn't see to be inspired by what I'm reading. 
You see all these things that God did in scripture. And even right now, you're watching God do all these things in the lives of someone else. And you're wondering, why not me? Where's my miracle? Because I prayed and I came to church and I walked the straight and narrow and she still walked out on me. And he still died. And my son's still addicted. And I still can't make ends meet. And those stories, as real and powerful as they are, you're struggling to even lean into them in a way that will encourage and build your faith. So this week I'm reading these stories and I'm like, man, these things are so awesome and it's so cool to know what Jesus did. But I know that there are times you read the Bible and you see the Jesus represented in it and the one you see in your life feels so different than the one you read on the pages of scripture and you don't know what to do with that. And you're saying, I'm, that's awesome, man, that Jesus can bring a friend back to life after four days. It's awesome to read about all these th- stories but if you knew what happened to me 10 years ago or two days ago, you'd understand why I'm having a hard time. I'm too damaged to be encouraged. And see, I know that reality, but as a pastor, the hardest part for me is I don't know how to fix that in you. So I'll just tell you this, if that's you, you're in good company. Because see, sandwiched between the widow's son and Jairus' daughter is an encounter with John the Baptist. Go back to Luke chapter seven. Verse 18. It says, John's disciples told him about all these things. So somebody comes to John the Baptist, the one who baptized Jesus, the one who had watched Jesus from afar, the one who'd be the first to declare, here comes the savior of the world. I'm not even fit to, to carry his sandals. But now he's in this place that his, his reward for that declaration of Jesus is he's in prison and he's about to be beheaded. And he hears all these stories, all these miraculous things that Jesus is doing. And he calls a couple of to them. He says, go to the Lord and ask, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Wait, John... I thought you'd already settled that, John. Well, it's easy to start doubting when you're watching God do for everybody else what you wish he would do for you. Verse 22 says, so he replied, Jesus replied to the message, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news is proclaimed to the poor, and blessed is the one who does not stumble on account of me. (laughs) Jesus, that doesn't help. Go back and tell him all these amazing things I'm doing for everybody else. (laughs) Doesn't seem fair. And now, won't you see what what Jesus says about John the Baptist? I tell you, verse 28, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. 
Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. That it might seem like what I'm doing for everybody else and maybe it seems like I'm not doing for John may seem like John's being punished for something, but there's no one greater. He says, blessed is the one who doesn't stumble on account of me, that, that you don't get so confused by what I'm doing for others and seemingly don't seem to be doing for you that you lose faith in who I am. And the reality is, Jesus just, God sees things different than we do. His perspective on life and death and struggle and pain are so much different than ours that the reason why I can't fully explain to you all of that is because it's just not explainable. The beautiful mystery of the will of God. But I remind you what he said to Mary before he raised Lazarus. Go back to John chapter 11. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. That even if death does come, is still a pathway to life in me. Even when it dies, and even if I choose not to resurrect it, life is still on the other side. So even if that thing you're praying for, even if it doesn't happen, even if they die, even if she doesn't come back, even if it doesn't work out, guess what? You're gonna be okay. Even though they die, they live. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe in God enough that when it seems like it's dead, you trust him enough to stay committed? I know that you're so damaged by what you didn't see that it's be really difficult to be encouraged right now by what you do. But I need you just to trust that your God is a God of life, even in the face of death. And I don't know what's gonna happen with the thing that you're praying for. What God does and doesn't do is a mystery to me just as much as it is to you. And I know I can give you the preacher answers where it's for your good and his glory, but I know that don't help. It says before Jesus brought Lazarus back to life, when he saw the pain that Mary and Martha were suffering, shortest verse in the Bible, two words, Jesus wept. And if you're in that position, you say, I'm too damaged to be encouraged. I want you to know that the God you serve is weeping with you and is gonna walk you through whatever it is, whatever the outcome that he's already can see. Remember, he sees the big picture. You just see a portion. That in him, even death gives way to life. So you bow your heads, close your eyes with me. I don't know who this is for today. Maybe it's just for me. <laughs> but I know what it's like to be so damaged by the miracle you 
feel like you missed, that you can't be encouraged by the miracles you read about. And my prayer is that right now, God and his sovereignty and his presence will just come alongside you, minister to your spirit, speak into your heart, and that you know that he is with you and he is for you. He knows what you don't know and he sees what you don't see and his ways are higher than our ways and he's beyond our understanding and comprehension. And maybe he's not gonna change the situation but can I let you know, he wants to heal your heart. He wants to heal that brokenness. So Father, I pray that you would do that. You'd help us to recognize you have the power to do the miracle and you have the power to make us whole when you decide not to. That either way, we know that you are good and you work all things for our good and your glory. And so God, today we just lean into that reality and we trust that you will bring healing. God, we thank you that you weep with us when we grieve. And God, we don't know what you're gonna do, but we know what you can do. And so our faith and our trust remains in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. We hope that what you experience today inspires you to live and love like Jesus. Stay connected with what's happening at Vintage and grow deeper in your faith by downloading the Vintage Church app. Through this app, you have access to sermon notes, upcoming events, devotionals, additional podcasts, and opportunities to connect in community. You can easily download our app by going to app.vintagechurch.net. We hope you join us again soon.